Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelance and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm super fired up for this guest. This guest is recognized as one of the world's leading figures in team culture, leadership, and mindset. For over 25 years, he has worked with numerous Olympians, Paralympians, world champion athletes, Grand Slam champions, and NCAA college teams. An author of three books and a keynote speaker, this guest consults with coaches, leaders in the sports and corporate world, athletes and teams where he teaches and implements the champion-minded culture, mindset, and leadership approach. His podcast, Champion Minded, is available on iTunes and on YouTube. A former five-time world championship competitor in the sport of duathlon and two-time national fitness champion, please welcome to the pod, Alistair McCaw. Alistair, I've been wanting to get you on for so long. I'm such a big fan of yours. Thank you so much for taking time tonight and walking us through your journey. Hey, David, no problem. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. So, I mean, you know, this is, you know me a little bit. This is a tennis podcast, and I know you work in, in a variety of genres, but you're quite the tennis player yourself. I've seen it on social media. I've seen you even give <laughs> shout-outs to Patrick McEnroe to give you a little bit of feedback. You can hit the ball, man. What's your, what's your background in tennis? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm that good a player, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I started as a kid. Uh, it was my first sport when I was growing up in South Africa. I was probably around about eight, nine, nine years old. Um, my brother played, so obviously, naturally, the, you know, the younger brother will take it up as well. And uh, instantly fell in love with it. Um, uh, there was a tennis club nearby. I, I lived in Johannesburg, South Africa, which is... Um, very very high altitude as well, and a lot of a lot of good players came out of Johannesburg. Uh, Wayne Ferreira was one, Neville Godwin, uh, a lot of a lot of good South African players. Um, of course, Kevin Anderson, uh, a player I, I've worked with for four years. Uh, we grew up pretty much ten minutes apart, um, so a lot of good players in that particular area. So, but anyway, getting back to how I started. Um, by the age of ten, eleven, I was competing in obviously under 12 tournaments never had any coaching we couldn't afford coaching so I would just watch other coaches with with other groups and other kids and just steal if you like so that's already where my my coaching background probably started was when I was 10 11 for myself Um, as we know once you get to a particular level in tennis it gets very expensive obviously with coaching and traveling and we as a family four boys uh, we immigrated from Ireland. We just could not afford it. So um, lots of frustration because I loved the sport. I wanted to be a champion. I was very, very dedicated to training hard uh, from an early age. Um, the bit okay was, was ranked uh, around 11, 12 in my age group uh, in under 14s, but that's pretty much where it ended. And uh, then took up running after that. So, yeah, that's where it started. Um, I didn't pick up a racket for probably... Twenty years. Wow. Um, so the fact that I was able to, to pick up a racket again and, and, and hit the ball pretty good, I was I was super surprised. So there you go. Yeah, how good did that feel? I mean, honestly, tennis has always been been my favorite sport. Um, that you know, I really wanted to be a professional in tennis. So uh, you know, they say tennis is a sport for life, and and it definitely is. I mean, here I am. I'm in, into my mid forties. Uh, time flies, and I'm loving the game more than ever. Uh, just had a, a great hit today here in uh, here in Boca Raton, and uh, beautiful weather. So I mean, it's it's a sport for life. It doesn't matter, you know. So it's it's uh, I'm just really thrilled to still be able to play. 
Yes, it is. Super, super cool. So, uh, you know, your athletic achievements, we, we mentioned it in the intro, the five-time world championship competitor, sport of duathlon, two-time national fitness champion. As an athlete, I want to kind of ask you, what did you enjoy most? Um, was it the preparation? Was it the actual competitions? Was it a little bit uh, a mix of both? Uh, what, you know, kind of talk about a little bit through your process and, and going through your own athletic achievements. Yeah, no, absolutely, and, and that's a great question. Well, um, from a very, very young age, David, I knew um, that I had a very high work ethic. And that probably came from my parents as well because they were very, very hard workers. Um, also, maybe an advantage was that my mother was a great athlete as well. She was a an Olympic trialist in the 400 meters. So, I mean, there's some great genetics there and great work ethic there. So, um, I was never the most talented kid in school, uh, you know, in elementary school. I was never the first pick in teams. Um, I'd always have to work hard. So, from a young age... I knew if that I was going to succeed in anything because I had that burning desire to be a champion, to be a world champion in something, I was going to have to outwork um, my opponents and my fellow teammates or whoever it may be. So from that young age, I remember doing extra, extra work without having to be asked. Um, I was called crazy because I would, I would, you know, do eight mile runs when I was, you know, 14, 15 before practice. Um, I would stay after practice to work hard on things. I, I played six to seven sports in school. I played rugby, cricket, cross country, uh, tennis. Of course, sometimes it was difficult to decide what you know which one I was going to do in an afternoon. So, from a very young age, preparation was always my favorite thing. Um, uh, I mean, of course, I love to compete, but preparate. I, I really got my kick and my motivation from outworking others. Mm-hmm. Knowing that I worked harder than anybody else, that really for me was um, uh, was the excitement of of playing sports. Now, as you know, as you stated before, as you get better in your respective sport, the traveling becomes a, a issue. The coaching becomes expensive. With you know, you guys not having you know, the means to do everything that you, you've wanted to, you, you know, you wanted to do, were you just around people, other athletes, other coaches that, that you kind of said earlier, you just started kind of stealing stuff from people? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I always believe that if, if you really want to make it, you can, and that's not just cliche. And I learned that from a very young age because we didn't have the resources, we didn't have the money. Um, you know, I even remember getting passed on my brother's clothes to, to wear at sports practice and so on. So, um, you know, my first pair of Nikes were probably at 14 where I, where I was the happiest kid out. And there were a pair of Nikes that were probably three, four years old. So very grateful from a young age to get opportunities. But, um, yeah, I would, I would just, you know, like I said, if there's a will, there's a way. And I would just go watch other coaches work with players and, and kids and then just steal it. So, for example, they were working on, on the surf, for example. I'd watch it and I'd go down to, you know, one of the other courts and I'd, you know, take a, a bucket of balls um, and start hitting serves and start, you know, thinking what the coach said, for example. So um, another great advantage I have, I have to admit, was the, the high school system in South Africa was excellent. Um, we had uh, great sporting facilities at our schools. We had great sporting programs at our schools, very much like Australia. Um, you know, so you could choose a variety of sports, and all our coaches um, were, were 
pretty highly qualified. They were either ex uh, athletes, professional athletes. Um, so we really had a great system in South Africa in, in the 80s and 90s. So um, definitely benefited from good, good coaching. For sure. Now, let's kind of talk about coaching. Um, <laughs> when, I think there was some overlap. You were still competing in some of your athletic um, endeavors while you got into coaching. Now, was this something that, obviously it seems, at least on the outside, all of us who follow you, it was a natural fit. Was this something that you wanted to do for your career? Did you actively choose it out, or just like this was so natural, it just went from competing right into coaching? Yeah, I mean, listen, I always wanted to be involved in the sports industry, so for me it was a natural um, decision. I mean, I even knew in school at 15, 16, I was going to go into the sports industry. Obviously, wanted to be a professional athlete first, but really the coaching side of it and, and the that side was to make extra money to pay for, for my racing and for my traveling. So, um, you know, it was, I enjoyed both, of course, competing and, and, and practicing, but the coaching side of it, you know, I started as a personal trainer in a gym, and that was really to pay for my for my racing, my racing bills and my training bills. So that's how it started. And I mean, you know, duathlon, triathlon, endurance sports are, are not sports that make a lot of money. Uh, they're not like tennis and golf, for example. Um, even your guys in the top ten, top twenty in the world are not making a decent living at all. So you've got to have another job. You've got to have something on the side. So you'll see today, for example. Uh, great athletes like Mark Allen, who I, you know, six-time Ironman champion, who I, the king of Kona, who I had on my podcast a few a few months ago, he still has to he still has to work. He runs a an online uh, training um, website, for example. So um, there weren't sports that made a lot of money. I, in fact, I probably lost more money uh, being a professional athlete than actually gained. So you know, working as a coach in in at the same time doing correspondence studies. So, for example, I'd be on the road, I'd be studying nutrition, I'd be studying courses on uh, sports management. So I think, you know, during that time, I was able to uh, get the best out of both worlds, travel, compete, but also at the same time prepare myself for the next phase of my life, for which a lot of athletes don't do well enough today. They don't prepare for that second phase. You know, they don't set themselves up. So... I had a very easy transition once I, I retired from racing to go, I already had a business. So I already could go straight into coaching, consulting. Um, I had some already some great athletes I was working with at that stage. So it was a very, very um, seamless transition. You know, you, you say something, and, I, and I'm going to try not to butcher this quote too much, but when you say athletes don't always prepare for what happens, you know, after the final whistle, Andre Agassi always says, you know, uh, with tennis prodigy right you spend a hundred percent of your time preparing for one third of your life and yet you have no clue what you're going to do your final two thirds of your life so i think that definitely resonates with what you said and um yeah. you, you know what you know what's amazing david i don't know but i was just stretching on the mat here before before we got onto this podcast and one book i have a, a bookcase that probably has i don't know a thousand books and one book i was just like staring at it was Andre Agassi Open, and it has the green bat, and, and you just mentioned this right now, so there you go. I mean, it just... Uh, I think I read that book about, I think I've read that book 10 times. I mean, I loved Andre growing up. So yeah, it's such a good book and I recommend that to, any, to, to everybody listening to this. So You know what, that book, that book, I mean, so many athletes from different sports 
Um, that is one of their favorite books. I mean, not just from tennis, but from all different sports. It's probably one of the all-time best. So great. So, so great. Um, I want to kind of pick your brain about the champion-minded type of way because you've worked with Olympians, uh, you've worked with 11 Grand Slam champions, three world number one tennis players, world champion squash players, the list goes on and on, PGA Tour winners, um, not bad company. And I want to ask you um, some of the common factors that you see with all these great champions that ordinary people can incorporate in their training. I'm, I'm talking about things that really are not God-given talent. I'm talking about things where there really is no secret sauce. What are some of the commonalities um, that you see with all of these great people that you've been blessed to work with? Yeah. Uh, first of all, a burning desire. Uh, a burning desire to be the best. A burning desire to be uh, a champion. That's definitely number one uh, they have a hunger they have a passion if you want to say um, second of all a very very high work ethic um, you know they're willing to outwork others so for example you know obviously working with Kevin Anderson um, incredibly high work ethic I don't believe you know and Kevin knows this as well and I actually write about this in my book Champion Minded is that he's probably one of the least talented professionals I've ever worked with and I've worked with probably over a hundred uh, WTA and ATP top 50 players over the last say 20 years and he is uh, definitely the guy with the least talent I've worked with but he's made the top 5 in the world so that gets my full respect that he's really maximized everything he can and for me that that is champion minded is that you've been able to get every single little thing out of yourself so um you know, so for getting back to your, your question, hunger, number one, work ethic, number two, the ability to handle repetition, repetition, repetition all the time, the boring monotony of handling repetition. You know, Kevin can, you know, you give him a thousand serves or, or a thousand times a, a forehand volley, whatever, he'll do it. He'll do it. And he understands the, the importance of repetition. So they have this ability to focus on... Um, on, on the monotonous, they have this uh, incredible monomaniacal focus on things as well. This is what I've picked up in the very, very, very best. Uh, you know, that's the difference between good and great because you've got talent, uh, you've got so many good tennis players. I mean, we even look at college level, the level is phenomenal. Then we look at maybe top 300, top 200, the, the level is just incredible. And then you've got those that next tier. Um, you know, the game just gets better and better. Yep. Uh, you know, in, in my in my opinion, um, we look at what we have today. We have the Titsy passes, We have the Zverev's, uh Dominic team, who I think is going to be um, that next guy who really challenges. Uh, you know, at Roland Garros for a few titles after Rafa's. He's already made a couple finals. He's already made a couple. There's just this one other beast that's ahead of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that beast doesn't look like he's slowing down. Either, so, uh, I, I think the top three guys have been teasing teasing the rest of the guys for a few years, saying, oh, yeah, I think this is the last year, but it's not happening, so they're back for another year. I mean, I just I just saw stats the other day, David, that um, Fed has been in the top three for, what, the last 15 years? Crazy, crazy. I just thought, I mean, what? That is, that is, I don't think that's been done before. I don't know, but, I mean, the last, talk about longevity. And, and, and talk about, think about Fed. Um, I mean, he was back in the day of, uh, I mean, 
Hewitt was number one. In yeah, he's number he's one played through like three generations. It's crazy. It's crazy. Exactly. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Um, uh, you know, you, you talk about the things that don't look at the God-given talent. I actually heard another coach speak about this um, earlier. Someone asked him, how do you get from if you're 500th ranked in the world to 200 ranked in the world? And let's just say tennis because that's what the common theme is for this podcast. And the coach said, look at like the top 20 guys and look at the people in that top 20 that are the least talented and find out what they've done, and then mirror those traits. Because if you're in the top 20, you are amazing. And if you take the least, if you can, you know, kind of pick the brain of the least talented in that bunch, and you mirror that, you can do that jump pretty quickly, is what the coach said. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's, uh, yeah, of course, and of course, good coaching as well is important. But um, just this, this last weekend, I was up at the, the USTA in Orlando uh, working with, um, the uh, the wheelchair guys and, and girls under under Jason Harnett who runs an incredible program up there. But um, we got to we got to chat to Mackie McDonald and there's a player, another type of Kevin Anderson type of mold of player uh, who's maximizing his talents and his gifts. Um, not the tallest guy, doesn't have any huge weapons, but already you know he's been in the top fifty or top sixty in the world. There's another guy who is a great example to young kids or others out there about maximizing your ability. I mean, just chatting to Mackie, all those things, talk about hunger, talk about work ethic, talk about his ability to do repetition, those things that we just spoke about um, you know, a few minutes ago. Yep. He's another great example. Uh, and he works with a coach, he works with a coach named Michael Russell, who I know you know, um, who's a- absolutely a physical beast. And you remember Michael on tour. He's 5'8", maybe, but he's Fit as I'll get out. He, you know, he's fitter than some of the guys on the tour now. I've had him on the podcast, and Michael is such a such a nice guy. And he's working with a lot of the young kids. And I think that's again another guy who can share that. Hey, this is what you need to do when you're not blessed with all of the God given talent. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to love watching Michael play. I mean, just you know, just a grinder, just a tough, gritty player. Would never give you three points. Um, but yeah, and, and I see he's transitioning into coaching very, very well. He's had a lot of success. I mean, I think he had Tiafo a year or two ago. They had some great success there as well. So yep. um, yeah, and no, I definitely Michael's a top guy. Really like him. Such a nice guy. Hey, I, you know, I, I really appreciate it. I know you've been traveling like crazy. Um, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I am going to look forward to seeing you in Del Rey in February. Um, there's no place. You know, I'm, a, I'm based in Chicago. So in February, I'm ready to get the heck out of Chicago and get to some warm weather. Um, I, I want to thank you for your time. And, and I, I hope the listeners, you know, I, I recommend every coach, every athlete, and every parent to read your books, follow you on social media. Um, speaking for myself and, and others that, you know, in my circle, when we mention you, your messages definitely resonate with us. And when I told a few people that I was going to uh, be speaking with you, they were so fired up and, and um, eager to hear what you have to say. And I'm thankful, I'm really thankful that you were able to share your time and experiences uh, with me tonight. I appreciate it, Alistair. Uh, Dave, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure, and um, you know, I look forward to seeing you in Delray again. I think we saw each other a year or two ago. Yep. Go there, so we got to do like an uh, annual yeah. annual meetup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a great tournament, great weather. Um, we're really spoiled.
school down here in Florida. So uh, look forward to seeing you again. And thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Oh, no problem. Thank you, Alistair. We'll, we'll see you soon. You bet. Bye. Bye. Thanks to Alistair McCaw. Such a treat to have him on the podcast. He is so, so good in what he does. And again, um, go follow him on social media. Go read his book. Um, he offers so, so much, again, to every athlete. Uh, every athlete, every coach, and every parent can really take a lot out um, from what he says. So thanks for listening. Again, you can listen to this podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play, Courtside with Beelins and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Thanks, everyone.